Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, breathing life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett, and today's guest is Leah Pinelli. Leah is a life coach, and she also hosts The Life You Crave. Leah was unable to crack the code on her struggle with overeating. No matter how many books read, diets tried, or mindful eating methods subscribed to, she could not resolve her struggle with food and weight, and I can relate to that. After becoming a life coach in 2016, she learned about weight loss coaching. She was a bit skeptical. After all, if it worked, she would have already tried it. But she decided to give it a go anyway and was blown away by the results. Not only did she lose weight without using willpower or resistance, she no longer experienced the overhunger and cravings that had plagued her since childhood. Weight loss coaching provided the missing link. It not only helped her figure out what to eat, but it addressed her mindset around food and weight. She learned to think differently, which led her to eat differently. And today she lives happily with her family in California and maintains her natural weight without counting calories or carbs. Leah is on a mission to teach other women how to ditch the diet drama and create the lives they crave unapologetically. Leah, welcome to the next chapter experience. Let's dig in. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here and to talk with you. I'm looking forward to this conversation because as we were discussing off air, many are challenged by their relationship with food. That as well as what is actually going on in their bodies. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And our bodies change, right? The body that we had when we were 17 is not the same body that we have now. But a lot of times we think it's all doom and gloom. We're like, oh, I hit 40. And then all the weight just started coming on. But the truth is I actually weigh less now than I did when I was 17. I weigh less now than I weighed in high school and I'm 44. And I know for sure our bodies definitely change hormonally, biochemically. There are changes that we're not going to pretend aren't there. It's not somehow a sentence for weight gain. I always say that when we're 20, 30 pounds heavier in our forties and fifties and sixties than we were in our twenties and thirties, I think it has more to do with what I call that sneaky incremental weight gain that happens every year where we just gain two, three pounds a year. We barely notice. And the next thing we know, we wake up and we're 45 and we're like, oh my. So I do think that as we age, things change, but this is what I love about your work, Jan, is that it's about wellness, right? And it's about moving your body and it's about exploring what does wellness look like in this phase of our lives? Because it looks different than maybe when you were 17 and playing volleyball three times a week or whatever it is you did. It looks different. The biggest discovery for me was education Mm -hmm. of the things that I really needed to understand and know and then apply. So I did get online. I did access that hunger scale too. And I looked at it and I thought, this makes so much sense. Certainly drinking water, it's just primary. A lot of people say how much water. I always say your body weight divided by two in ounces. I say the same. Yeah, of course it can be more, (laughs) but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Eat food that serves you well. 
and move your body. Period. So I'm probably in better shape now than I was in yes. my 40s or even in my 30s because I have much more knowledge about yes. what the important things are that I actually need to be doing. When I was listening to your podcast, one of the things that came across was the reality that there's a lot of information out there that has caused a lot of confusion. Every year I gained three pounds or five pounds and now I'm 50, 60 pounds beyond where I need to be. And then you yep. have the keto, fasting, You've got yep. all the different diets and it just goes on and on. And I was really fascinated by your experience in Spain. So I want to talk about that too. Absolutely. So I struggled with weight and food. I don't want to be clear. I wasn't just struggling with weight. I was struggling with food. Food felt like it had power over me because since the age of nine, I was on diets because my mother had said that we needed to start a diet when I was nine. And I'm pretty sure it's because our pediatrician had told her, Leah's overweight. You need to get her on a diet. She tried so hard. She's a great mom to be gentle, but I knew then there's something different about me because my sister three and a half years older than me didn't have to eat differently. She didn't have a problem with her body. So I was on a diet my whole life then. And when I was in college at Berkeley, I had the opportunity to study in Spain for a year. And even though I was a history of art major, so I was going there to study art and I was a Spanish minor. So I was going there to learn the language and study art. I was very open about this with my friends. I was like, I'm actually going there to figure out how they stay so skinny and they eat. And now this was 2003, 2004. And I went there and that was truly my personal mission was to figure it out. And I would study women. I would talk to women. I would talk to my roommates. I would talk to my friends. I would talk to anybody who would talk to me because I wanted to figure out how did they do it? How did they not diet and still stay so slim? What I came up with was that first of all, their standard for food is much higher than ours. For example, at the time we, this was again, 2003, 2004. So there was a lot of trans fats in our foods, right? So those hydrogenated oils were everywhere in every bag of chips and bread. And it was in everything. And there it wasn't. And I remember turning over a bag of Doritos in the grocery store because they had Doritos imported from the US, but they didn't have hydrogenated oils in their Doritos. I'm not joking you. In the United States, we were producing it differently for Europe because they wouldn't import trashy food. And I say trashy because I just mean that the quality of ingredients that Americans would accept was not what they would accept. So that was the first thing I learned was that the quality for food was much higher, but people learn how to eat from their parents and their grandparents before that. Whereas in the United States, States, we have this beautiful thing of so many cultures coming together. And so I was raised in San Francisco. So I was raised on Chinese food and tacos and sushi and right. But the gastronomic history wasn't there where I really learned in Spain, like you would never eat more than the standard. It was just this cultural kind of guardrails that helped you understand what to eat and what not to eat. What is good food? What is, I don't want to say bad food, but food that's not of great quality. And so it was just passed down from generation to generation without the confusion. They didn't have these, what I call highly palliative foods that are just hard to stop eating. Lay's potato chips, but you can't have just one. And it's true. Like we're actually hardwired to keep eating those types of foods. Whereas they just weren't eating those things in Spain back then. What's sad is that here in the United States, the manufacturers know that they're producing crappy food. They continue to produce crappy food. Every time I see a commercial and it's a huge portion of some big hamburger with melted cheese or some huge sandwich or any of that. It really is a turnoff. And I intuitively say to myself, that's a damn shame. They should be ashamed of themselves because they are killed with that food. So when I'm in the supermarket, I hate to be the food police and I hate to be in other people's shopping cart. But every now and then I'll look, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Why are you eating that? 
I have a great deal of sympathy because I know that they're eating that because on some level, there are addictive properties to these. And I know it's controversial whether or not you can actually be addicted to food or addicted to sugar, but the combinations of sugar, fat, and salt, there is a science to that. It's not too hard to stop eating carrots. You can eat a few carrots and be done. You're not like shoveling carrots usually, but even my son, he's eight years old. He'll be like, oh, this feels addictive. Certain foods, I'm going to say this feels addictive, but he recognizes when something feels hard to stop. And it's not usually the salad. We can overeat salad. Don't get me wrong. Then every time you go to the grocery store, you try to not go down the cookie aisle, but then you find yourself loading up on the Oreos and here you are feeling like you don't have control over it. And you're absolutely right. Food manufacturers know this. That's how come it's a billion dollar industry and they're profiting on our chemical dependency on these foods. Chemical dependency and also emotional dependency. You mentioned the psychological things that people are dealing with as it relates to food and their relationship with food, what happens in their brains. A hundred percent. Yes. I'm really glad that you brought that up. So I have a program, it's called 90 Days to Food Freedom. And this program addresses both the what you're eating, which is what you and I were just talking about. Because so often people come to me and they feel like there's something wrong with me because I am a smart, educated woman. This was me, right? I'm like, I have degrees from Stanford and Berkeley, but I cannot figure out how come I cannot stop overeating. And so there is the what factor, which is that biochemical factor. This just is science, right? This isn't even controversial stuff, but it's what happens when I start eating Pringles? What's actually happening biochemically? So there's that piece of the program where I really do help women figure out what to eat for their one unique body, because we are all different. So no two clients eat the exact same way, but that's the what part. But then what you're talking about now is the why part. Why am I overeating? Because we were talking about earlier off air, I have a free training called Eating Without Fear. And I teach in that training that there's two reasons we eat, physical hunger and emotional hunger. There's actually one more, which is habit hunger, which is just basically you eat because it's time to eat. Like you don't even think about it. But whenever you're eating for a non-physical reason, your stomach's not growling, you're not feeling lightheaded, you're not actually physically hungry, but you're going to eat anyway. There's usually an emotion that is behind that. And in In my experience, I have found that for women, the emotion that is behind our eating, there are some top emotions. A lot of times it's stress, it's overwhelm, it is exhaustion. But then there's also, as women, we have been socialized to settle in our marriages. We settle in the distribution of labor in our households. We settle in terms of pay. We settle in terms of our worth. We settle in terms of our time. We settle and we're constantly self-sacrificing and self-denying because we are hyper-socialized to settle. And what that does is that drives us all This is what we were talking about earlier. That drives us all to the pantry at 10 o'clock at night after you put the kids to bed or just after your day's over and you've been hustling, hustling, hustling all day long, overextended, overcommitted, overobligated, overgiving. And then you're like, you know what? I deserve a brownie. And then you end up eating four or I deserve the bag of chips. I deserve this. I just need this. And we do because here's the thing that gets to the psychology piece of it. We do need pleasure. We do need satisfaction. It's just that we are all so misguided because we think in the moment that the satisfaction is in the bag of chips. When really what we need is to not be settling, is to be claiming what we're worth, is to be reclaiming our time, reclaiming our energy. Again, this is what I love about your work. Cause you're like, I'm going to do this wellness and wealth and health. Like I'm here to figure this part out for me. And when we really start to step into that power coupled with the actual, what you're eating, cause you need both, right? You can step into your power all you want, but still feel a compulsion to eat chocolate covered peanut butter cups, which was my thing back in the day. 
day. And so you really need both of those things Mm -hmm. in order to truly free yourself from food and weight stress and really step into your power and go get what you want in your life. It's not an easy shift, but what you said about actual hunger, when you have a physical sensation that you should eat something, you know that a little something would be a good thing. I get that piece. And the emotional, you're angry or maybe even happy, but you're going to have because I deserve it. And I'm glad you brought that up because I do believe there is a very healthy threshold for sugar. I'm not anti-sugar. There is nothing that I say, oh, you can't eat this. But this is how a client will know if I'm the right coach for her. I have four criteria that I teach my clients about how to figure out what to eat. And the first criteria is thinking about eating it. So anticipating it. So for me, if we're talking about, for me, ice cream as an example, because I love ice cream. I didn't love ice cream until the third trimester of pregnancy. And now all of a sudden ice cream is like my favorite thing. So I blame it on my kid, but ice cream, I love it. So when I think about eating ice cream, I'm like, oh, that sounds so good. I would love to have some ice cream. That's delicious. And then the second criterion might sound like a no brainer, but a lot of times we eat things because we've always eaten them or we tell ourselves we like them. Like eggs is one of them. I love eggs, but I found that I don't always love them. They have to be cooked in a certain way or else I'm grossed out. So I really have to pay attention attention to, do I really like this thing? Is this really good? The third criterion is, do I feel good after I have eaten this thing? And that's where ice cream goes out the door for me, because unfortunately my digestive system does not like ice cream, right? So it doesn't meet the three criteria. The last criterion is if weight loss is a goal for you, does this food help me get to my goal? Does this food help me to lose unwanted weight? But the reason I bring that up is because cobbler, it could fit the criteria. It could actually fit all four for you because if you're not eating too much of it, and you figure out a way to incorporate it into how you're eating that works. But the point is that I think there's a really healthy relationship there. But we know there's a point when eating stops feeling good. It stops being fun and it starts to become like this compulsion where I'm really stuffed, but I'm just going to clear my plate anyway. That's the point where this isn't fun anymore. This isn't good anymore. The peach cobbler isn't really that great. I've been there, done that. In fact, with this peach cobbler, I can't tell you the last time I had peach cobbler and ice cream. It's been a really good time. So I was really looking forward to it. And it was made well. It was made with monk fruit instead of cane sugar. So I had a huge piece with ice cream. I thought, oh God, it was good, but it was way too much. So the second day, that's great. The second what? What did you do? You remember how you felt when you had that large piece of cobbler and that amount of ice cream you had, you didn't feel good about it, even though it tasted good, but you feel good. So today we're going to try a smaller portion. Perfect. Okay. And the ice cream was just one large tablespoon instead of a whole big old scoop. And I actually felt really good with a smaller serving. There Um, you go. And I love that example because what you just illustrated is the process I go through with clients all the time. It's about curiosity. It's not about beating yourself up, right? So in that moment, for my clients, a lot of times if we overeat some peach cobbler, like on Sunday, because you were excited about it, you didn't realize the next day you're like, oh, it's too much. A lot of times we go into a real negative place. What is wrong with me? I can't believe I did this. I feel disgusting. I'm going to gain weight now. We go into this whole place of beating ourselves up. Instead, what I teach clients is this is fertile soil for learning. So it's okay. These are the questions that I have clients ask. First of all, can I make sense of this behavior? Why did I overeat that peach cobbler, right? Without judgment. How would I talk to my child? If my child was like, oh, I overate, I wouldn't be like, you're disgusting. What's wrong with you? I would be like, okay, baby, let's talk about it. Why do you think you ate overate it? And you just explained it perfectly, Jeanette. You were like, I was excited. I hadn't had it in a long time. Makes total 
psychological sense. And then you did the next step that I like to teach my clients, which is, first of all, I have to insert a little find compassion step in there because a lot of my clients don't have compassion for themselves. So it's like compassionate, like this makes logical sense why I would have over this. But then I'm so glad that you ate it again the next day. I really am because it gave you an opportunity to practice. So what I always say is if you could wave a magic wand and go back to Sunday and do it differently, what would you do differently? And that's usually when clients, I would have still had it because I was really looking forward to it or whatever, but I would have had a smaller piece with maybe just a tablespoon of ice cream. And then the third question that I always ask is, okay, so how would you like to do this next time? And that puts us psychologically into our prefrontal cortex and it makes us imagine our future selves. It makes us project into the future and really think of who do I want to be with peach cobbler? Because I don't want to be somebody who's deprived of peach cobbler. I like peach cobbler. I want to be able to eat it, but I just don't want to overeat it or over obsess about it. And so then you did, this was, I couldn't set this up more perfectly for you to share a story. Then you did it. You practiced it. And that's how I tell my clients, you're practicing who you want to be with peach cobbler. When you have a smaller portion, you have a little less ice cream. And then guess what? You deserve to feel good after you've eaten peach cobbler. I think for so many of us, we set ourselves up to feel like if I eat something quote unquote bad, then I should feel bad. And so we overeat it. But instead it's no, you should feel good the whole way through. I agree. In fact, I don't know where this came from, Leah, but many years ago, I decided that I was never going to beat myself up if I ate. I'd simply enjoy it. I just enjoy it. And you mentioned you, you lost 30 pounds several years ago. I did something similar where I lost around 40 pounds probably I would say about 12 years ago. And I've been able to stay within six to maybe seven pounds within my ideal weight range without that way high and way, way low. So adopting the philosophy of accountability, I just make a commitment to enjoy it and not fret over it, but make a plan moving forward, not to offset it, but to understand, like you said, what it needs to look like or what I would like it to look like the next time. So I, I hear what you're saying. And when I heard your podcast, and I read more about what you do. The thing that I know that was missing or has been missing for me is really learning to differentiate the difference between full hunger and emotional hunger and yes. staying within that pocket. That's the new discovery for me because I, like you, have been through all the diets. I have yes. all the books. I have them all and done all. But this is the first time that I have been considering the knowledge of the hunger piece, just eating when you're hungry and then eating enough to take the edge off and just let it be. Just pause for a second and see how you feel about it. So I I love the technique and approach. I really do. Yeah. And that is actually the first step in my program. So many women come to me and say, Leah, and they're often embarrassed to say this, but I was in their same shoes. They say, I don't actually know when I'm hungry. I have no idea because of diet confusion. Like we were talking about earlier, where we have been sold, especially as women, we have been told, don't let yourself get hungry. You're going to go crazy. You're going to eat your whole kitchen. Like all this. So we're all, we all like snacks in our bag. And you talked about in your podcast and I said, a hundred percent. How many times I'm here? Take some nuts just in case I get hungry. Well, just get hungry. And it's important to say too, that hangry only happens. I learned this from my friend, Karen Kennedy, who is the functional medicine nutritionist. Hangry only happens when our blood sugar is stable and our blood sugar should not be unstable. And the reason our blood sugar gets unstable is if we are eating too many processed foods. And again, there's a whole lot of science behind this. Hangry happens when your blood sugar drops way too low. And 
if you are eating in a way that is truly in support of your wellness and your health, your blood sugar doesn't drop like that. It stays pretty consistent. I know because I've worn a continuous blood glucose monitor with some clients of mine and I've seen how this works. I did this whole program with this woman, Karen Kennedy, who's fabulous. She has a program to help people prevent diabetes. And even if you're already diabetic, she really teaches you custom eating to support your blood sugar. It's called Hack Your Blood Sugar. And I did the program, even though I'm not pre-diabetic, because I was so curious. I wanted to look under the hood to see what's happening. And I did it with two other clients of mine. We were in a group of 12 people and we would get to see each other's data. I was part of the learning process. And what I saw was people who were eating processed foods, and Karen will tell you this too, but people who are eating those processed foods frequently. Again, there's nothing wrong with processed foods. I am Italian American. If you think for one second, I don't need some pasta and some bread, but I just don't eat it every single day anymore because I know what it does to my body biochemically. People who would eat a pizza and things like that regularly and having Coke or even Diet Coke, you would see their blood sugar spike way up and then drop way down. And whereas my blood sugar and that of one of my clients who eats very little processed foods as well, our blood sugar would stay the same no matter what. Even if I hadn't eaten anything in 16 hours or even 18 hours, because for whatever reason, I don't typically breakfast because I'm not hungry. I never eat if I'm not hungry. And then if I had a late lunch, and so I had all this time fasting, my blood sugar still didn't drop below the, what she calls the Goldilocks zone. And that is because I'm never spiking it to begin with. So really understanding how what you're eating is causing you to feel hangry. And Karen Kennedy says, feeling hangry is not normal. Hunger is normal, but we can handle hunger. I can be hungry, no problem. I want to eat. I'm not going to starve myself over here, but hunger is not an emergency, but it feels like an emergency if you have been eating a lot of processed foods. And that's how the whole diet industry and the food business is keeping us hooked. Because then it's, I'm starving. I got to get something right away. So you pull over at the gas station. There are not whole foods at a gas station. So you grab a bag of chips or you grab the soda or you grab whatever. And it's a cycle and your insulin and blood sugar goes up and then it drops again and you find yourself hangry again. And the biggest message that I want to send is that this is not your fault. We have been duped, in my opinion. This is a capitalistic society. Everybody's in it to make a buck, but it doesn't have to be at the expense of your health. It doesn't have to be at the expense of your weight. And most importantly, your mental health, because I know what it feels like to be on that roller coaster. And it was consuming so much of my mental real estate. And to me, that's the real saddest part for me, because I feel like as women, if we can free that up, not worry about that anymore, we would have taken over the world by now. All honesty, I talked about that this morning. And what we talked about was the freedom you have when you don't obsess about what you're eating and when you're eating it, there's a sense of freedom, but there also is an opportunity for us to tap into ourselves from an emotional perspective. Spend time with yourself that's unrelated to eating. Yes, I will tell you that what happens when we stop using food to fill the void, right? So when we stop eating out of boredom, when we stop eating out of dissatisfaction. So for me, this is what it looked like. I had gotten a master's degree from Stanford in education. I'm a very passionate educator. I worked in public schools and I'm all about teenagers. That is like my, my superpower is I'm a teenager whisperer. I love teenagers and the worse behave they are, the more I love them, right? I was a bad teenager myself. So I very much went into education because I really wanted to be a mentor for kids who didn't feel like they fit in high school. Anyway, long story short, that was my passion. And I worked in education for 15 years and I was a dean of students. I was very passionate about restorative practices and I was very involved. What ended up happening was I realized how dissatisfied I really was. I didn't want this job. 
I didn't want to be a dean of student discipline in a major high school where I really didn't have any power to do it the way that I thought was right. I didn't want to be an overworked and overwhelmed mother. And so what it forced me to say, okay, so what are we going to do about this? And I'll tell you that what I ended up doing was it took me a few years, but I left my career, even though I got a master's from Stanford and I hadn't even paid off the damn the loans off before I left. But I started my own business, which gave me the freedom that I craved, right? So now I set my own schedule. I don't set an alarm in the morning anymore. I freed myself up in this way. I am of service to women. I feel like I'm leading an army of women who are like done with dieting and they're gonna fix this and they're gonna move on and create the lives that they crave. And I've been able to expend a lot of energy in my marriage. So for us to figure out how to balance this better. And I'm telling you every single thing that I was so dissatisfied and frustrated about back then and not perfect. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't have a perfect life, but it is so much better because it's on my terms. But I had to figure out what I wanted and then I had to figure out how to get there. And I would never do that if I was stuffing my face with the chocolate peanut butter cups. I would just keep stuffing my face. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens. When we stop eating our feelings, we have to figure out, okay, what do I really want and how am I going to get it? That is some powerful stuff right there, which is part of the magic that happens. You can take your mess and have a message that will help others to manage their situations and maybe even improve it. That's a beautiful thing. The first thing that I cannot recommend more highly is actually using the hunger scale. You can learn how to use the hunger scale. I teach it in under 17 minutes. You can get it at leahpinelli.com slash eating without fear, or just go to leahpinelli.com. There's a black bar right at the top. You can't miss it. Free training, click on it. You'll get it right away. And in less than 20 minutes, you will be able to start using it today. This was the tool that I stumbled upon when I was so skeptical. I was like, I don't even know what this weight loss coaching stuff is, but I'm not doing it because it sounds like a scam. And then I accidentally stumbled upon this tool and I started using it and I lost seven pounds without even trying. And I was so shocked because I wasn't hungry and I didn't change what I was eating, but I lost seven pounds. And I was like, what's happening here? I have to know more. And that's when I started to learn about weight loss coaching and what it actually is, which is actually behavioral change through mindset change. Actually, I have a former client who lost 20 pounds just using that one tool. So it really is a powerful tool. And what it is, it's really you paying attention to your body's natural hunger and satiety levels. But I want to warn you that if you're eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of times that signal doesn't pop on right away if you haven't already calibrated these hunger signals. So give yourself some time to write your hunger signals. And I always say there's no such thing as failing. There's just learning. So you'll find, oh my gosh, I really overate. I teach the hunger scale, which is really just a tool to familiarize you with your hunger and satiety levels, because so many of us are out of touch with them. And so it's really calibrating those hunger signals for yourself. So that's the first thing I say about perfect portion control is you have to know your hunger and you have to know when you're eating for physical reasons. And when you're eating for emotional reasons, that's always going to be step number one. But then the other thing that I like to teach is portion control, paying attention to your body, and then really noticing when you do overeat, this is the most important thing is you really check in with yourself to figure out what were you feeling or thinking at the time that you overate so that you can really start to address because our feelings drive our actions always 100%. But then the third thing that I always recommend is that you spend time visualizing who you want to be when you're eating. We have this very unique psychology that allows us to see into the future 
and take actions today that will impact our future. And so we want to tap into that part of our brain. That's a good part of our brain. And so we want to use that part of our brain to really think. And this is why I had you when we were talking about the peach cobbler and I had that third question is how do I want to do it next time is because that is what starts to clear our brains with who we want to be. And so then when you get there and you're like, okay, here I am, like you did on that second day, here I am with the peach cobbler, your brain already made this plan. I'm going to have a smaller piece. And so it's already familiar. This is what NBA players do all the time. They visualize the game. They're visualizing from the moment they walk out and get onto the court. They are visualizing play by play because it increases your performance because your brain, I think, oh, I've done this before. I've sat down and had a smaller piece of cobbler before. Even if you hadn't, because you visualized it, then you can show up and do it differently the next time. What I teach is this isn't a diet. You got to figure out how to go on vacation and enjoy yourself. If you think I'm going to go to Italy and not eat the deep fried Navion donut in Venice, you're crazy. I'm going to go eat that. But I also know I'll come home a little bit heavier, but I know how to get back to a good place. I can't say this enough. It has to feel good all the way through. So if you come back and you're like, I'm going to deprive myself. I'm going to go on that diet. I'm going to restrict myself. It's never going to work because our brains are hardwired to avoid discomfort. So as we wrap things up, what would be your call to action for our listeners? Yeah, I would definitely say if you want to know more about my work, Jeanette, you mentioned my podcast and I do have a podcast called The Life you crave. And that would definitely give you more of a sense of what I do. But I also really highly recommend that you head over to my website, leahpanelli.com. That's L-I-A Pinelli.com and check out the free training that we were talking about. Because like I said, it gives people great results in a totally different way. And then of course, if you want to go deeper, if you want to just chat with me, you can always sign up to book a call just to get on a chat to talk about what your personal struggles have been with food and weight and to see how I might be able to help you. I have a 90 days to food freedom program that really takes women through that process of figuring out what to eat for your one unique body, along with why you're eating and all of the tools that you will need so that you can stop the emotional overeating and the self-sabotaging for good, which the result is weight loss, right? I hate to call myself a weight loss coach because really it's about satisfying what you really want and what you really desire and learning what to eat for your body. And the byproduct of that is weight loss. But the approach is not just, oh yeah, you're going to come in and I'm going to give you a diet plan and I'm going to give you an exercise routine. And then I'm going to hold you accountable every week. That is not what we do. We go really deep into your brain, into these brain-based solutions for why you're overeating in the first place, why you're self-sabotaging in the first place and how to solve that in 90 days. Sustainability is a major factor in it all. Huge. Totally agree. Leah, it's been a pleasure having you as my guest today. Greatly appreciate you giving us some of your time. Oh, I have been honored to be here and talk with you today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning. <laughs>